Hello and welcome to the Crisis Designer Weekly Podcast. This is me, Robert Pratton. And this is Belen Santaolalla from Conductor Crisis Simulation Platform. So if you've not tuned in before, um, you probably won't be alone. This is only episode three. Um, yeah, so on this podcast, we're basically talking all things that we think might be relevant to people who design crisis scenarios, crisis ex, uh, exercises. So we're looking at sharing tips, thoughts, interesting information that can help you make um, remarkable exercises. Yeah, so if you're into crisis management or reputational risk, business continuity, information warfare, any kind of um, uh, scenario creation uh, or design uh, for immersive simulations or training, um, we are uh, creating this podcast um, having you all in mind. So we really hope uh, you will find this interesting. Yeah, and I mean, please do um, email us at podcast at conductor.com. That's uh, C-O-N-D-U-C-T-T-R, two T's, only one R.com. So it's podcast at conductor.com with your thoughts about what you might want us to cover. Um, because in this episode, we are looking at designing for hybrid warfare, and we're going to take a look at what's going on in Belarus along the Polish border right now. And Belen is going to talk to us about the use of time in stories. Yep, but before we get into that main section, we're going to start with uh, what caught our eye this week. So yeah, um, one of the things that caught my eye this week was the fact that I was presenting at a uh, civil military affairs symposium and uh, the session was looking at the use of simulation in sort of human-centric type exercises, basically, or human-centric uh, problems. And I talked about how, although Conductor is a, is a sort of um, a simulation platform, it needn't be the only thing that's part of the exercise. So if you've got key leader engagement, normally with sort of face-to-face -face, um, interactions, whether that's in person or either over the phone or, or by Zoom these days, um, conductor can be like a digital wrap. So people like going in to do that sort of civil military engagement might use conductor to do their target audience analysis, open source intelligence about the people they're meeting. And then when they've had that engagement, the role players that are, you know, being the key leaders, they would send their feedback well, either they can, if, if they're the sort of person that would have social media account, they can obviously tweet or Facebook directly, and then the trained audience would pick that up, or they can feed back to the gray cell back through exercise control, and then there would be some sort of adjudication there, and then we would simulate the base. So then that, depending on what they told us, how they felt the meeting went, we would then change the information space based on that on that feedback so it was, it was quite it was quite interesting yeah so cool well um what caught my eye this week uh was an article uh that was talking about how um uh, joe biden's statement was taken out of context and created like a, a kind of a chaos online um, because uh, the quote uh, was that uh, he was going to swoop down with special forces folks and gather up every gun in America. 
So you need a lot of special forces. <laughs> a lot, exactly. But everyone was going crazy, saying like, "Oh my God, Biden is going to forbid um, uh, forbid guns." Take away our guns. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's uh, that created kind of uh, frenzy. Uh, uh, but what I liked is that it's a, a very specific type of uh, disinformation, a very uh, standard one, uh, which is. Um, um, uh, a false uh, a false context um, thing because uh, it was a quote uh, that he was uh, speaking about misinformation uh, and uh, he was uh, it was cut out uh, <laughs> everything that was he said before and everything he said after that uh, so it's classic obviously um, uh, how uh, this misinformation uh, spread uh, when he didn't really mean that it's like for example someone might accuse me <laughs> of saying that special forces will come and they just cut that bit out exactly that's exactly <laughs> the case and i really liked it because um this remind me of this um first draft uh has uh, this kind of uh, categorization of um misinformation and disinformation types uh and it, it this false context one is one of the uh, these seven categories and this can be found in our um modern reputational risks report uh that is on our website and we will leave the link uh, in the notes, uh, but it's really interesting to really see um, how the thinking uh, be behind the, the disinformation campaigns. That's really good. Did you, um, are you familiar with that Let's Go Brandon meme? No, what's You know that? about that? So it, it, we, it started before we started running the podcast, so we've not mentioned it before, but basically there was, um, I think it was a NASCAR driver, you know, like um, in front of um, a reporter, right? So the reporter's interviewing this uh, this uh, NASCAR driver, and the, the, the crowd started shouting, fuck Joe Biden. <laughs> and, the rep and the reporter said, uh, there was some sort of like, um, you know, communication between the two, and uh, the driver's name was Brandon. She said, oh, I think the crowd are shouting, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> and so then what started to happen is, all like the Republicans now, they're using, let's go, Brandon, as a euphemism for like fuck Joe Biden, and there was even there was even a senator, I think it was a senator or some uh, congressman, who uh, finished his talk with "Let's go Brandon," which I thought was a bit. I mean, we've spoken before about civility in the sort of offices of power. I thought that was a bit over the top, but um, anyway, that, that, that I thought, it, it, you're talking about Biden. It reminded me of "Let's go Brandon." But that's great. That's the kind of things that would be great to insert in a scenario i think that to yeah, show totally. how uh something starts like a meme something that very uh, specific at a point really spreads and it gets it becomes a meme or even like a motto for for a movement so uh, it really shows the fabric of how uh, human terrain modeling works i think yeah exactly and because that's a lexicon now that a, cer a certain group of people would use or that, that would go into their lexicon. So you'd be able to identify people through the use of that phrase. It's like a coded yeah. thing, like, you know, you're one of us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. what else caught your eye of LM? So something else, uh, it was like a Mozilla report on uh, disinformation for hire in, in Kenya. 
Uh, I thought it was interesting because uh, uh, normally we talk about this information um, as a, a coordinated campaign, uh, uh, but I, uh, I hadn't really uh, read so much about uh, this information for hire and how that works. And this report uh, talks about how uh, these uh, promoters of this information pay influencers uh, in Kenya to, um, uh, to spread this information. And they really do it like for 10 or, or $15 a day oh, wow. uh, and they spread um, these false news and then uh, these fake news and the algorithms do the rest because the uh, target, uh, the objective of these promoters is to, um, to reach the trending topics and they easily do so. And it was it, that this report is interesting also because it's uh, it shows screenshots of uh, fake accounts uh, uh, that they use to promote these things, and you can see how they use attractive uh, women uh, profile pics uh, or even celebs that are not on social media, um, and it uh, it shows uh, how this is like a clickbait uh, for people yeah, to, to yeah. follow this and to spread um, the the rumors and uh, and this information. So I think it's a, it's a real case example that can be uh, inspiring for any kind of scenarios that uh, we could want to create. That's quite interesting. I think, um, I mean, I've not read that report, so I don't know the scale of it in Kenya, but definitely there've been, um, there've been cases of uh, just like regular YouTube users, regular YouTube influencers being um, hired to basically spread sort of pro-Kremlin messages it normally comes through some um you know in quotes pr company hmm. um and then they make the approach because there's always so there's always some sort of like deniability but um yeah i mean yeah it's pretty uh and i think as well we um we did something in nigeria and i think they're called like yahoo boys something like this and these guys are also for hire but I can't, I think they might be more about the scams, you know, like, oh, the Nigerian mm. prince has left yeah. you thousands of dollars or whatever. Um, so I think, I think the Yahoo boys that sat there sending out all these like scam emails uh, on demand. Yeah, yeah, exa exactly. Um, so to wrap up this section, the final thing um, that I have, that's something that caught my eye. So I'm quite interested in uh, sort of microelectronics and playing around with robots and, and this type of thing. And um, Hackster.io is um, a newsletter that I follow. And they've, they've, they came up with something there that came onto my desktop. Uh, there's this woman called Steph Piper. I think she's in Australia. And she's creating all these cool projects for girls. Now, she's the one who stood there for girls. Just because they're cats and rainbows doesn't mean it's only for girls. But if I looked at it, my generation is definitely say, yeah, it looks a bit girly. Uh, but anyway, look, it does look pretty cool. And one of the, um, and she's trying to encourage sort of like young girls to get into soldering and electronics and stuff like that. And it looks like it, looks like it would work because she's got lots of wearable uh, electronics as well. So you can sew it into you know, clothes and whatnot. But one of the things uh, that I thought looked very good, she's got, it's called uh, the party button. So, you know, like a regular sort of road crossing where you've got the walk, don't walk type people. Mm -hmm. So um, she wasn't using it in a crossroads. I mean, it's, it's basically in the middle of, um, 
you know, pedestrian area, but you press the button and the characters start to dance. It plays music and you've got these like little eight bin eight bit sort of sprites that are doing all these like disco moves and everything. So it's pretty uh, yeah, it looks pretty it looks pretty good. It it reminds me a little bit in um in London, in Trafalgar Square, they converted some of the walk, don't walk symbols there into lots of other symbols. So they've got like hearts and stuff like that. So when you press to walk, instead of come up with a normal walking guy, it will come up with all sorts of other different symbols, mm. which is quite which is quite nice. But um, they don't play they don't play a dance tune, and uh, and and they're not animated. So yeah, so I think that's worth checking out. We'll we'll leave the uh, link in the show notes. Yeah, that that remind me of something that uh, like a campaign they did in Madrid uh, a couple of years ago, and they were using exactly the, this uh, um, pedestrian lights uh, uh, to um, to illustrate. Um, uh, well, it was to to for the pride, uh, for the gay pride um, yeah. parade and days and everything. So they were displaying like uh, two men uh, crossing or two women crossing. So it, it looks like it's. I think it's a, a good idea to use the pedestrian lights to to illustrate points. I think because they, they're like <laughs> uh, very standard. Everyone needs to see it and to use them. Uh, and it's fun to 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 really create some bits of storytelling and make it, making statements through that they get your attention as well because you're looking they're waiting for it to change so. <laughs> definitely you have to look at that <laughs> that's really cool. good okay so let's move on to the main section then okay so um this week uh, belarus was back in the news so uh, basically they've been trying to needle most of the countries. um uh, on their borders for quite some time, at least since like June or July this year. Um, but this week they were in the news because uh, basically what's happening is they're, they're flying in thousands of refugees, or at least hundreds of refugees from Iraq. And um, they're basically giving them a visa at the airport in Iraq. When they land in Minsk, uh, in Belarus, they are getting bussed to the border uh, where they're trying to force them over into Poland. So earlier in the year, it was trying to force them over into Lithuania and Lithuania called it out and said, this is basically hybrid warfare and you're using these uh, refugees as pawns in this sort of power struggle. And now the same's happening in Poland and Poland had all this sort of razor wire um, to prevent people crossing and the uh, Belarus uh, troops are basically like felling trees and cutting through the razor wire, trying to allow the uh, refugees passage. So all all of this started because of the sanctions. Um, And basically the Belarus, uh, which name, um, Lukashenko, Lukashenko is, um, is trying to double down. So he's like, well, you know, you implemented these sanctions because I uh, captured the, the journalist while he was yes. flying from Vilnius to Athens. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to let him go and I'm going to become a thorn in everyone's side. So, so that's not it, very good. I think that uh, it, this is one of the first times that this kind of concept of hybrid warfare is becoming kind of mainstream. Like uh, the public opinion is hearing more about this concept of hybrid uh, warfare through this uh, conflict. I think that 
some, uh, that was a kind of um, niche concept before or not that uh, heard of. And this uh, is uh, bringing that uh, ideas to the press and we are reading about it uh, every day. So it's a, it's a very good example to illustrate what uh, hybrid warfare is, I think. Yeah, I think it probably started like as an industry term. Yeah, you know, like you know, an insider's sort of bit of jargon, but like you say, yeah, now it's just mentioned in like mainstream press, and I think that's that's because, you know, the leaders in Poland, Lithuania, the EU are calling it out as such, uh -huh. because um, obviously, the, and they're pointing the finger at Russia. So what's what's interesting about this from a crisis scenario point of view is like, well, how you know, if you wanted to um uh exercise in this area like if you if, if you wanted to run an exercise on this sort of work where would you where would you start so i mean we i mean we always start with research so you go back and you see like okay so who are the different parties well it's basically like belarus and russia versus the rest <laughs> like they don't have many friends uh supporting the, the nonsense they're coming out with um, and a really good site is EU versus disinformation, where they break down a lot of the narrative or the nonsense that's coming out of from Belarus. And the main thrust of their argument or their sort of narrative is that um, the European Union has brought this on themselves um, because, you know, because of their interventions in Iraq, Libya, Syria, Afghanistan, um, you know, they shouldn't be surprised that all these migrants are turning up. They don't mention that they're actually flying them and then passing them to the, to the border. Detail. Yeah, exactly. And like Russia, um, it was in the FT today, Russia uh, is accusing uh, Europe of creating a humanitarian disaster. It's like, if you don't let these people in, you're going to create a humanitarian disaster. Now, what, um, you know, what is widely believed to be happening is that Poland is basically pushing them back. Now that's apparently legal. So like if they if they get into Poland, they're supposed to the law is they're supposed to give them sort of refuge or at least process their claims and so on. Like, so on. And I think uh, it was reported in uh, NPR um, that uh, there isn't any independent verification right now of what's happening because journalists um, have limited uh, access to that area. And Poland is keeping reporters and human rights workers out of that area so yeah. the only information you're getting is the official in quotes press or official statements from poland and from belarus but i have seen images uh, satellite images of um what's happening so we're, we're, i don't know i don't know as well i've i've seen some other aerial shots i don't know if anyone's sending drones over or anything but it was definitely um so all the photos so in theory, then, all the photographs that we're seeing currently in the press are from um, like a partisan source, let's say. It's either coming from Belarus or from Poland, both to illustrate their yeah. side of the argument about what's going on. But there's no denying now. It's quite widely shared belief that um, Belarus are busing these people to the border and creating the problem. And... Um, there was just to talk about some of the other disinformation. So the TASS news agency, which is the Russia, um, is saying that Poland's sending tanks to militarize the border. And then and, and then we saw um, Lukashenko send over some like 
um, nuclear capable bombers, which is a bit ridiculous, you know, like to look at it. So they're all like posturing. I mean, apparently they have, there haven't been any tanks sent to the border. There's been a lot of troops, obviously, to prevent um, anything kicking off. And um, what's the other thing here? So I've, I've put a quote here. So um, the chairman of the, the Belarus House of Representatives has said that um, the West is accusing Belarus of organizing migrant smuggling into Lithuania is a vivid example of political slander and unfounded allegations. I mean, it's just it's just words isn't it basically because uh, there's a really good and then so so you get these narratives on both sides and then i thought right well this type of situation it is about a war of words and pretty good to play out as a war game so mm -hmm. you could have like poland on one side belarus stroke russia um on the other and then you need to think about right well how you know, how does this, how does this play out? So with our normal sort of storytelling canvas, we'd, you know, we'd identify the different, different countries and so on. So you've got Poland, Lithuania, Belarus, US, EU even. And then you have to think about different websites. So we would have the official Russian news sources because they're going to be pushing the Belarusian line. Then we'd have like international press. So like people like FT, Guardian, mm -hmm. so on. And in the research, there is quite a lot of international attention on it. Like even Washington Post, we've got Radio Free Europe and, and so on. And each of those take a slightly different slant. So you can find out yeah. one additional fact from them from the more you know one additional piece of information um the european commission also would need a web page because uh president um ursula von der Leyen has made a statement she's basically saying you know you're using people as pawns in your yeah sort of power game. people yeah yeah exactly and um it, it started to turn my mind one of the problems whenever you um simulate these things is finding enough like images and a love rich media because in the real world there's like hundreds of images but they tend to be the same one that are retweeted yeah and i think for the purposes of an exercise if you can if you can just buy a really good image or photoshop one up from somewhere um that you know like you need something like that rather rather than uh, just do everything on text yeah, I mean, I think it's very important to have a rich media planned when you design an exercise uh, because it's not only a war of words, it's, as you said, a war of images because uh, uh, right now uh, Belarus and, and, and Poland are using their images to support their narratives and, and maybe the image, how it's framed or what images are using are really uh, telling a story or telling the complete opposite one. So I think that rich media is really important uh, in this kind of context. And it tends it tends to be as well in our exercises that that we find that we, we basically create a media library for the training audience so that they can use what we've got. You know, so they don't have to go off looking, especially if they're on like a secret system, so they, they won't have access to the internet anyway. Um, so we try to give them resources to use that they can use, you know, and pretend maybe they've come from somewhere else, you know, some other uh, group. Um, there was a really good graphic that I saw on the BBC website. So the BBC, um, it seems like they've basically given 
some refugees a mobile phone and told them to track their journey. Mm. So I thought that was I thought that was quite interesting. But on that in that article, they've got the uh, social media advert which is appealing to people in Iraq to um, travel as a tourist to Belarus, right? And it's saying like, we'll put you up in a hotel for a week, free transfer from the airport. Oh my! I know, yeah. They've even got uh, looking at the BBC website this uh, this thing they've translated, saying that there's health insurance. You get special prices for groups, and uh, you can book all this up through WhatsApp. That's so, so bad. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty <laughs> well organised. I mean, and whether it, I mean, even if it is a criminal gang, I mean. The criminal gang are definitely working, you know, in favour of the Belarus uh, sort of situation, even if even if you didn't want to prove a link between the two. This is something really interesting to also simulate uh, this kind of uh, adverse or promotion and to really oh, see yeah. the, the, the contrast between uh, what they are promoting and what's really happening and, and how they are doing this. I think that it's um, uh, really interesting. I think that we could share the link uh, on our notes so so uh, our listeners can see this kind of adverts, uh, that diagram that you're talking about, uh, because I think that it really flesh, fleshes out um, the situation uh, on social media. No, totally. In fact, what, I mean, what we would do is at the... Um... So if you think of this, if you think of this exercise as a battle for, like, let's say domination, for want of a better word, of the information environment, I don't know if anyone could ever really dominate it, but let's say it's a battle for the information environment. What we would do is have a start state. So, and we would normally call those like in quotes, historic articles. So things like that from the BBC, uh, we would mock up you know these adverts and so on so all of that would be in there and we would be expecting the players the training audience at the start of the exercise to do open source intelligence so they would go into the information environment we'd set up and do their own research to try to corroborate the information they're getting like so it's up to them to identify the trusted sources the sources that they think might be under the influence of some some other adversary Exactly. And so, in, yeah. for that, uh, we normally also uh, tweak uh, the creation date of the accounts uh, and the following and followers. So uh, training audience have uh, to really uh, validate if those are um, valid sources or not, uh, depending on that kind of information and the past tweets and past uh, comments or historical content, as you mentioned. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'd probably, I mean, even if we were to start the exercise today, we'd have news articles dating back, you know, to earlier in the year or something like that. So they yeah. can follow that trail of how that's worked. Yeah. And what you're describing there is like, so different social media profiles, if an account has only been set up in the last week, probably yeah. that's a troll, <laughs> you know, especially if, you know, a sock puppet or something. So, um, so yeah, we'd be careful to make sure we created all those accounts in a, in a realistic way way and also not to send any false positives because you want them to look at that and so if, if it's supposed to be a valid source we'd have to put on a date you know, I don't know 2013 or something some some period well outside the way so so yeah and then what you'd have to do is think about okay what's the goal for for poland i mean belarus their, their goal is presumably to get the sanctions lifted but 
I mean, it's not, they're not, no one's going to back into this sort of thing. I mean, it worked with Turkey a bit because Turkey got a big payoff from the EU in exchange for preventing uh, refugees from sort of, you know, migrants mm-hmm. or whatever from coming into Europe. So, but I mean, Belarus is in a completely different sort of situation compared to compared to Turkey. So I don't, I don't really know what he's, what he's trying apart from just to upset everyone. And then, um, but on the Polish side, obviously they want the refugees to go away. But they've got to do it in a way that they don't lose the moral high ground. So you don't want to look like the baddie. If there is a if there is a humanitarian crisis, that's not going to look good for for Poland at all. Even I think even if the refugees are in Belarus, the fact that they are, you know, like a meter away or whatever it might be, you know, like they're the width of some razor wire away from being taken care of and freezing mm. to death, that's going to be problematic. So they need to so they need to look at that. But also, you know, ordinarily, let's say we were going to fictionalize it and it and we wasn't it wasn't Poland or Belarus, it was some other, you know, made up countries, social cohesion would be like a problematic thing. So you'd be looking inside, let's say, the domestic audience of Poland, like the, the population, and looking at, okay, like so who are the let's say it could be like human rights versus anti-immigration or, you know, this, this type of thing. So who is going to be on the side of the, now in power right now, I think they're called the law and justice party, but they are, they, they came to power on an anti-immigration. So being tough on immigration is going to go in, you know, it's going to play to their base anyway, but you could imagine if it was a different government that were much more sort of like uh, humanitarian sounding this might actually give them a real practical problem because just letting lots of people into the country they might feel it's destabilizing and yet and yet they've got to be seen to be doing the right thing so that causes uh that causes a conflict if you know in in other situations so um so i think that's that's the problem really for the, the training audience, let's say, on the on the Polish side, whether it was Poland or some other made-up country, and then we'd probably want to start. We'd have to think about okay, what's the inciting incident? So you let them into the information environment. They're reading up on this. They realise that there's this issue, but what's going to really kick things off? So it it could be like uh, pure disinformation. So it could be a fake video from the Belarus side showing Polish soldiers sort of mistreating refugees. It could be that somebody dies. I mean, it's not going to be as winter approaches, you know, it's probably not going to be too long. And then there there could be some other escalation. I mean, the thing with a bomber is a bit ridiculous, to be honest. I mean, it did get covered in the press, but I mean, it could have just as well been ignored. I mean, that's nonsense. Um, But things like cutting off gas, gas supplies, that's that's Lukashenko's latest thing. But the comment, the commentary in the press I read this morning is, well, it's Russia's going to probably dictate that. There's only about 20 percent of uh, gas comes through uh, Belarus anyway into Europe. But it does. But even just threatening to do that does um, highlight all of these conversations around energy independence. Yeah. And so, I mean, when we build these exercises, we normally have this iceberg diagram and above the water, you've got the current issues. So it'll be like, you know, refugees on the border. Are we going to let them in? How do we, you know, create a humane solution for this without having uh, Lukashenko sort of achieve his aims? 
um, and then below the surface though you've got all these other old issues let's say that could be dragged up to the surface now the the, the whole energy independence is still pretty raw because of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline and creating more energy dependence on Russia and also we've recently had spikes in the energy in the gas prices because Gazprom again proxy for Russian state decides that they're going to withhold the gas or they'd let mm. the supplies run down whatever their side of the narrative is <laughs> but so, the result yeah, was the same I think that that I uh, I am iceberg uh, diagram that you mentioned is really important uh, in these first phases when you're going to design a scenario and you're doing all the research uh, to really uh, map out all the current issues, the things that the press are covering that are topical, but all the scars and the issues uh, that are unresolved. Uh, we should take that into account because wh uh, while you're designing the scenario, these issues should start to come up. Uh, so uh, uh, it's a, a dynamic conflict that it's evolving and it's realistic because these things uh, normally do. So uh, it's really important to have all these uh, concepts uh, laid out uh, before you start creating uh, the scenario, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because as well, in, in our model, we would start to identify the audiences that were pro and anti-immigration, pro and anti-EU, pro and anti-government, either side of the gas independence type of thing. Um, and then when you come to run the exercise, you need to know how those different audiences are going to be energized. And so you'd be looking at, okay, the player, you know, the training audience takes an action and then we need to adjudicate. So we'd be looking at the content and saying, well, who is this? relevant to which of these target audiences is it going to create any kind of resonance and how are they likely to react to that and we would feed that back into the information environment ready if you think of like the odor loop mm -hmm. so they need to sort of like orientate and then decide what to do so they they've done their open source intelligence their target audience analysis acted they've put some content out there then we have um adjudicated basically looked at what they're going to what they've done decided how these different target audiences will react and change the information environment correspondingly and now they're in another loop of sense making to understand okay did that achieve what we wanted to like was that successful or or maybe it just didn't make an impact at all you see what i mean so yeah. it's quite um yeah so yeah so i think it's an interesting it's an definitely an interesting uh, topic to look at. I'm sure there will be people exercising this. I mean, if I was in um, uh, Poland or the EU right now, I mean, I would be looking to war game this just to see how we think this is going to play out. I mean, I don't think they're going to get away with not providing some sort of humanitarian relief eventually, because yeah. as soon as it gets cold and people start dying, like Lukashenko, what does he care? I mean, like, I mean, I did read that he's started to get problems with himself because a lot of the refugees are now just hanging around Minsk in like coffee shops and the bar shelves and stuff like that. So when the refugees are in Minsk, um, that's a problem that he's that he's created. But I mean, he's proven already he doesn't really care about his own population. So that's yeah, exactly. But I, I think the EU and Poland have got more to lose by not doing something. So that's that's what that's what's going to be occupying them right now yeah. I would say <laughs>
So Belen, tell us about time in, in Story Worlds. Okay, so well, um, I found always interesting to to try to analyze uh, stories and try to really uh, break down how stories work and, and their structure and how um, they work and and what kind of uh, tropes or or uh, mechanisms uh, are used over and over again because uh, they're uh, attractive and they're proven uh, to to attract different audiences. Um, and uh, building a story worlds uh, is uh, a way to uh, give uh, richness and depth to our stories um, because we use factions, uh, rules, uh, different uh, scenarios, spaces, locations. Um, but the, the good thing about story worlds is they can also help us to express uh, the passing of time and how time unfolds is uh, really important in a crisis scenario. It's really, really important. Um, so this is a consideration that I think that we should have in mind uh, before or while we are designing the scenario, what kind of uh, time passing we want for the scenario that we are creating. Um, uh, for this, uh, I uh, went back to a book that I read uh, a couple of years ago, and that's uh, John Truby's The Anatomy of Story. Um, it's a, a really rich book. It's a really good book. It's a really good book. That we will link to it uh, on the notes too. Um, and basically, the main part of the book is uh, detailing uh, 22 steps to create uh, the overarching uh, the overarc of any story um, and it really tells you it's kind of similar to uh, the hero's journey but really detailing every step and, and why uh, all the, those steps are important uh, and they are used in films in series in theater plays so it's it's really um, a structure that really works uh, but uh, for today, uh, I want to focus in, in a different part of that book that specifically talks about um, how story world building and time uh, are linked. Mm -hmm. um, and this, uh, in this book, uh, John Truby mentions uh, four, uh, sorry, five uh, uh, time increments, uh, five ways to play with time in story. Uh, so I'm going to uh, go a little deeper in each part and see how we could uh, okay. apply this uh, in each uh, in designing a crisis scenario. The first one is uh, what John Truby calls seasons, uh, but I've, I think that it will be uh, more accurate to, to talk about periods of time. Right. Um, and these seasons of peri or periods is the pass of time through a cycle. Uh, it's kind of periods of time that are like block uh, uh, periods that we all know about, seasons, real seasons, like yeah. fall, winter, spring, summer, or uh, in a corporate uh, design scenario uh, would be business seasons, that, that's quarters. Uh, we could have shorter periods of time, uh, weeks or months, or uh, longer periods of time, uh, years, right? Uh, obviously, everyone knows how uh, periods of time work. Uh, we are all familiarized with that. Um, and the interesting uh, use of periods of time uh, is that they show cause and effect. 
uh, that uh, you can show uh, a training audience, they, they have to make a decision uh, in one period of time. And when that period of time changes into another one, uh, you can show the impact over time of that decision that they made in the past. Right. Um, so this is really good, uh, this kind of time uh, increment, the period of time is interesting for scenarios with long-term implications. Um, yeah. You're analyzing like uh, political movements of a country over ten years, like a decade. Yeah, sentiment as well. Yeah, also people often often say like, well, you know, if we're trying to say, change the behavior of a population or the sentiment of a population. That's not going to be within exactly. like a week's exercise or something. So. Exactly. The problem with this is that it lacks the sense of urgency. Uh, it's really good for this analyze of long-term implication, but it's the urgency is, is not really there. Uh, but um, you can also play with uh, this uh, linearity of time, or you can also play with uh, time being circular. Uh, that means that you create a scenario that it's a, a week scenario. You show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. Uh, and if you're making it circular, you're making the scenario to finish the same day that it started, like next Monday. Right. And because you're making it circular, you're uh, conveying the idea that the cycle is starting again. Uh, and that's right. a new opportunity to harness a crisis differently, for example. Um, so it really, uh, it's interesting to uh, to see if you're approaching the crisis linearly or you're approaching the, the crisis uh, like circularly. Uh, this I think that's quite. I think that's. I think that's quite good. But just uh, there's just a couple of things on that because, um, you know, particularly, uh, I don't know. Let's. There could be all sorts of crises that they're just not going to be resolved in yeah. a couple of days exactly and you know especially if monday's the start of the working week there you know there would be some sort of pressure to get it resolved saturday and sunday <laughs> you know what i mean like you know ready for a new start on monday so psychologically starting again you know so if this crisis happened you know on the wednesday or whatever of one week and then you come out and people would count you know how it was going in weeks wouldn't they they, they would that would have an impact on them even even though you fast forward and go, dun dun, it's now Monday, you know, nine o'clock or something. Psychologically, okay. you know now it's week two or week three in this issue. Yeah, definitely, and it's really important to signal that uh, passing of the time. I mean, it's uh, so because psychologically it has an impact, uh, and it really this uh, uh, time signaling has to be embedded in the in the scenario and how you express the unfolding of the scenario. So that's a really good point. Um, I, I was thinking just before we move on, I, I sensed a readiness to move on <laughs> on the seasons. Choosing the season for a game could be important as well, because we just talked about Belarus there. The fact that this is happening in autumn, in the fall, approaching winter, yeah. does have some bearing on how people react. And it will be the same, like, say, like for COVID, like if it was an exercise set over the summer where incidents are going to be lower, people are more likely to be able to go outside. That's a much bigger difference. Different, it's a different scenario to if it's being set in winter, where people can't go out, the incidences increase and so on. 
Totally. That really, uh, even even for a pandemic scenario, it, it makes a lot of sense to, to link it to the seasons. Uh, we've seen that the different waves in this uh, COVID uh, pandemic uh, has uh, are, are related to the seasons and, and how people are um, behaving and, and how they are interacting. Uh, it's related to if it's summer or it's winter and the, the, various, uh, the virus spread changes depending on the season too. So it really uh, makes sense to um, to design taking this uh, seasons into, into consideration, account. yeah. So this is one time increment. The next one would be uh, what uh, Truby calls uh, holidays and rituals. And uh, rituals are really interesting because um, they are uh, a philosophy that has been translated into a set of factions. Uh, and these actions are repeated at a specific intervals. Th those are rituals. And I think that uh, the good thing about rituals uh, is that they're uh, clearly recognizable. For example, Christmas, I think that it's like a very clear ritual that comes every year and it has lots of visual elements to identify it. Um, so uh, these elements really, um, uh, uh, without explaining it, you really know where you're at and what's happening uh, uh, in, in a story context. Uh, if you're talking about a crisis scenario or you're designing for a corporate scenario, for example, um, these rituals, again, are a set of actions that are repeated at specific intervals. And these uh, are uh, rituals that are um, business as usual operations, uh, so to speak. So that are the fabric of the day-to-day -day operations of uh, the stakeholders mm -hmm. that you're creating. Uh, for example, uh, the product launch, a uh, product launch uh, in uh, at a furniture company. Uh, this is something that has a set of actions that repeats over time. Like it has a press release. Uh, you have to take pictures of the new product. Uh, you have to uh, release uh, release them on social media. So there's a set of steps that you always do. That's uh, uh, the operations of uh, of this specific business, and we are going to call it um, a ritual, right? Uh, and the good thing about these rituals, again, is that they express the philosophy of the company and they establish uh, common references with the training audience. Um, uh, the same as a training audience uh, identifies Christmas through the visual elements. If you're designing a scenario that is specific to a company, uh, the training audience is going to identify uh, the actions of a ritual that is common to that company. Uh, they are going to really uh, know what you're talking about without explaining uh, what you're talking right. about because they are using, used <coughs> about that. And the good thing about that is uh, if you um, design uh, a ritual they are used to see, uh, they are going to have expectations of what's going to happen right. um, because they know about it. Uh, and the, the interesting thing is to break that expectation with an inciting ex incident. Right. Uh, the good thing is that if you're designing the exercise uh, and you just not follow the expected actions, uh, the training audience is going to know that something is wrong. And you yeah. don't really have to tell them. They're going to know uh, because you're showing them. It's not about telling yeah, them. Yeah. That's and quite that's, interesting. That's an interesting uh, use of these rituals that are mm, not uh, a specific time, but they are these uh, uh, timed actions uh, that create uh, these uh, sequences. So uh, the next one, the next kind of uh, time is the single day. And this is uh, like the seasons, uh, but in a very condensed way. Everything happens in uh, one single day 
or uh, a set of days that are uh, uh, next to each other. Uh, this means that uh, instead of a single event unfolding over a long development, you present a number of personas acting at the same time. It's like everything is uh, simultaneous. Right. Um, and this is kind of more realistic uh, because these are how crises uh, unfold in, in real life. Uh, it's a short period of time uh, within the same day or days in a row. Uh, and a lot of things are happening at the same time. Uh, it's not a single storyline, uh, but it's uh, like these different things that you have to pay attention to. Uh, and, and it really reflects how hectic a crisis can be. And uh, the really important thing about the single day approach is that uh, you don't use ellipses. And uh, ellipses are a narrative device uh, where you just omit a portion of the sequence of events. You just don't tell a part of the story. And right. that's, that's in a movie, you just don't see every day in real time. No. Everything that it's not interesting, uh, it's taken out. But in this kind of crisis, in this single day crisis uh, stories, there is no ellipses. Uh, that means that the crisis unfolds in real time and nothing is left out. And that's right. the really good thing because there is no narrator or author picking up the important events for you. Uh, you, the training audience, need to pay close attention to what's going on and decide what's important uh, because everything is happening at the same time. Um, and this is the no ellipses thing. Uh, it's really forcing you to really make your decision of, of this article that was published and is media out that is important or is just guff or, or not. Uh, and that's how uh, real life works, right? Uh, that's uh, uh, our, our everyday lives is about uh, really very fast assessing if something yeah. is uh, relevant or not for for what's uh, for our object. That's interesting. I was, I was, thinking, I was just comparing the um, single day to the seasonal one where the seasonal one, you are obviously going to cut out lots of stuff and jump to what's relevant. The next one is uh, very similar to the single day, but it's called the perfect day. <clears throat> and it's a variation of this uh, single day, but everything is in harmony. Everything is perfect. Uh, uh, but this kind of uh, illustration of how paradise looks like uh, should be uh, really limited because too much time without conflict kills attention and interest. Um, and this kind of perfect day norm uh, shows communal activity, like how well a community works together, right. uh, like everything is working fine. Uh, and this is uh, very important for crisis design uh, to set this kind of um, uh, business as usual harmony yeah. at the very beginning. Uh, so people get to understand how, uh, how things are normally and because we are going to disrupt it with uh, the inciting incident. So this is a, a time, um, uh, a time um, increment that can be used uh, to really break it. Uh, we would normally do that. We, we would normally do that as well because um, it gives people a, a chance to adjust to the fact that they're in an exercise to exactly. find their way around the interface and connecting with different people. It just gives them a moment to settle into their seats before things Getting are not to know the personas or all the all the channels definitely it's <clears throat> it's really important and the last one the last time increment is what uh, truby calls the time endpoint and uh, this last technique is also known as the ticking clock 
and uh, this uh, consists of telling the training audience upfront uh, that the action uh, must be completed by a specific time because something is happening at a specific time. Got it. Um, and that really uh, intenses the narrative drive and creates a speed. Um, for example, uh, it's 9 a.m. when everything starts uh, and the training audience is told that the CEO of the company has a press conference at 3 p.m. with the mayor. And obviously something is going to go wrong. Um, <laughs> and we really may need to make sure that everything is up and running again when journalists uh, start inquiring the CEO. Um, so you have uh, this kind of urgency uh, that you have to fix things before this happens or uh, this will escalate uh, really, really quickly. So this is really good to create a narrative drive uh, and speed, but maybe uh, at, ex at the expense of texture and subtlety. So it's, uh, you really need to choose carefully when you use this. Uh, if you're planning to, to do a really in-depth scenario in which people need to research Research and really analyze and discuss. Uh, maybe this is not the best uh, strategy, but uh, it's really good if you're trying to grab the attention of the training audience. No, it is. I think I, I was just thinking that actually it could be quite a good technique just to uh, focus someone's mind that there is a there is a deadline. Like we can't discuss this forever or whatever. You know, we need to uh, we need to come up with something. Definitely. So yeah, and when we design our, our scenarios uh, in Conductor, uh, actually we, we do have uh, uh, a channel that we call the captions uh, channel, and that's uh, to illustrate the pass of time. Uh, actually, well, you could use it for different uh, uh, objectives, but we normally use to show how time is passing, uh, and, and it's uh, really making clear if there are ellipses or not, uh, uh, you show uh, if you're skipping days, if you're skipping years or if everything is happening in real time. So um, we really think uh, time is really important when designing a crisis uh, scenario. We also, I mean, the captions channel is a good, is a good reminder because when you're in the exercise, you can sort of look up or look over on the left and, and see where you are, whether it's Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever it might be. <clears throat> but also um, we've used a media pop-up. So sometimes we will create a little video to show the passing of time or just to make it a bit more sort of sexy that if we really want to, if we really want people to know, okay, time is passing and now it's a new day. Yeah. So we, we would use the media pop-up to really get in their face so they can't get past it. Yep, so that's it. That's time in Story Worlds. <laughs>
festival or something. So yeah, we're going to take that opportunity to really visit the city and and go there and see and see what happens. Are there lots of oranges in Sevilla? Uh, yeah, many. <laughs> <laughs> I think of oranges every time I think of that city. Of course. <laughs> What Do they have a you? film festival there as well? Do they have a film festival as well as a theatre festival? Uh, yeah, well, I, the, the most important film festival in Andalucía is Malagas. Um, but is Seville, it really? Yeah, but I think that Seville uh, will probably have another one, yeah. I think I'd, I mean, if when I think of Malaga, I think of English breakfasts. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the main thing in Malaga. The, the film festival is there, but English breakfast is, is top. <laughs> so, what about you? Uh, what are you doing? Well, I wish I was going to Sevilla. I will be, uh, I finished um, Lost Judgment, my Japanese role-playing thing. Oh, no. And... Um, I wasn't sorry to see it go. I love the Yakuza, but I, in the end with this, the cut scenes got on my nerves too much. Oh. They were just too wordy. They just kept repeating everything that I already knew. I was like, bloody hell. So, um, so I was sort of glad to finish it. It's always sad when the story ends, but I'm sort mm. of glad to move on. I will be turning my attention to Far Cry 6. Mm-hmm. So um, I, have, I did dabble with it a little bit when it first came out, and it's... I mean, the tr- the thing with Far Cry now is it is quite formulaic. I mean, like it's good to know that all the, you know, you've got the familiar things, but um, you know, I know it's a different story and everything, but it's still quite formulaic. Now you have to grind through different things in order to make progress and so on. Um, but I'm nevertheless, I'm still, you know, let's see if it will hook me. Let's see if it will get me get me into it so that's what i'll be doing this weekend not bad okay well i think that's the end of our episode i really uh, hope uh, that you liked it that you enjoyed it again um <coughs> if you find that there are some topics that you would like uh, us to discuss or to cover or you have any ideas or articles you want to share with us again uh, this is our email podcast at conductor uh, dot com. Uh, I'll let uh, Rob spell it. C O N D C. C O N C C O N D U C T T R. Conductor. We'll write it in the show notes, just in case, uh, so you can reach uh, us whenever you want. And thank you for listening. Thank you.